The reason why 33-year-old Mandy Bujold, one of the best Canadian boxers ever, might not get the chance to retire from the sport that's been her career since 2004 on her terms is both devastating and infuriating. This is how she would like to wind up her career this summer in Tokyo. Quote, This is the final round for me. I've got to go all in. This is how I want to end my career, on a high note, with an Olympic medal around my neck." Unquote. That would be a victorious capstone for Bujol's incredible career. She's won 11 Canadian national championships, two Pan American game titles, and was a quarter finalist at the 2016 Summer Olympics. However, Bujold, who took up boxing as a high school in Ontario, has experienced some awful quadrennial luck, and she could suffer even more because of something utterly not of her own making. In 2012, she had an Olympic berth she thought she'd clinched at the 2011 Pan American Games, snatched from her grasp, when the boxing authorities changed the Olympic qualifying standards, saying boxers had to win their Olympic spots at the 2012 World Championships in China. There. After a blind drawing, Bujol lost her first bout to a North Korean boxer, and the lone Olympic spot on the Canadian team went to another boxer. Four years later, she went to the Olympics in Rio as a medal favorite, but before her quarterfinal match, she came down with a stomach illness and had to go to a hospital. Bujol spent the night before that bout, one win shy of the medal round, on intravenous fluids. As a result of the illness, she lost five pounds overnight, and the next day she lost to one of the best boxers in the world. In 2017, Bujold won six of her seven fights. At the end of the year, she was number eight in the world rankings. In the Americas, she was ranked number two. In November 2018, she and her husband welcomed a daughter, Kate Olympia, into their family. And Bujold didn't compete for an 11-month period, spanning her pregnancy and postpartum. Her absence from the sport during the period could end up drawing a premature curtain on her otherwise spectacular career. On this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so, we'll take a look at how the extraordinary confluence of Bujold's maternity leave and a global pandemic that canceled the Olympic qualifying tournament in the Americas could end up derailing her career and deprive her of a final chance to capture an Olympic medal. Bujold is so dedicated to her sport that her daughter's initials are KO, as in knockout. She says that wasn't planned, but did admit in an interview that she found it to be a happy coincidence. And after her daughter's birth, Bujold, like so many other new mothers, planned her return to the workforce. In December 2019, about a year after her daughter's birth, Bujold won a spot on the Canadian team that would head to the Olympic qualifying tournament in March 2020. This despite the fact that she could not compete while pregnant. And then her world, like so many others, was turned upside down by the coronavirus pandemic. That qualifying tournament? Canceled. The International Olympics Committee's Boxing Task Force then announced that Olympic qualifiers would be determined by the rankings from three tournaments from an 11-month period spanning parts of 2018 and 2019, the same time frame during which Bujold had been away from the sport to start her family. In her 16-year career, she's missed exactly three tournaments. Those now Olympic qualifying tournaments were the three. She appealed the decision to the IOC, asking the organization to recognize her rankings from before she was pregnant. Though she felt her circumstances met the IOC's goals of promoting gender equality, her request was denied. She called the decision, which she appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, quote, definitely heartbreaking, unquote, and a violation of her human rights. 
This story writ large is an absolute gut punch to all women. Bouchold and her husband had their daughter when they did, to allow Bouchold the time to return to the ring and pursue her career dream of winning an Olympic medal. Instead, she finds herself penalized for the timing of her pregnancy and possibly without recourse to pursue her athletic career as she had planned. Joining me now to discuss the reverberations of the IOC's decision are Miriam Williams and Tara Elwell Henning, the co-founders of Superkin, a lifestyle brand for ambitious parents that challenges the outdated notions of motherhood. Miriam, Tara, thank you so much for joining me here today. I'd like to start with the International Olympic Committee's mission statement. IOC President Thomas Bach's statement on gender equity, published ahead of the Tokyo Olympic Games. Sport is one of the most powerful platforms for promoting gender equality and empowering women and girls. How does this square with its decision regarding Mandy Bujol's case? Miriam, we'll start with you. I read the IOC's report and makes no mention of either pregnancy or motherhood. What do you make of that? They need to throw that report out and start over again. I don't understand how you can talk about gender equity and understand the journey of women in the workplace without factoring in maternity or motherhood. I think if you look at the numbers and the statistics, the world has changed and athletes aren't just waiting anymore for retirement to have kids. It just seems so archaic to still have this omission in 2021. I'm going to read you a statement now from Bujold's lawyer, Sylvie Rodriguez, on the IOC's decision. Quote, it sends the signal to female athletes that pregnancy must have a negative effect on their performance. This is to even the playing field for women who were or are pregnant. They shouldn't have to decide between having a baby and staying in the game. Atar, I'll start with you. What does it say about how sports views women, their autonomy to make their own life and career decisions, and their agency in regard to their own bodies, especially when those same bodies are the instruments of these athletes' work? It's unfortunate that she has to bring this conversation to light, but I think we just can't continue to ignore this. And the world has changed. Sometimes I just feel speechless, to be honest, because it just seems so obvious that we need to have policies in place to support what women athletes are in 2021. Tara and I had the privilege of working with Megan Duggan, who is the captain of the U.S. hockey team, while she was pregnant. I remember her talking about the experience of being in the gym and the perception of her pregnant body, what it was capable of doing. And she felt more powerful and more capable than ever before. And I think there are perceptions that people have about pregnancy that are not correct. And that goes probably quadrupled for pregnant athletes. We need to push and advocate and fight for a world where we're trusting women and the athletes to figure out what's right for them. I think the same goes for corporate America when we think about structures and policies that help get women promoted or not promoted. If you're in your childbearing years, you're probably also in your peak career ascension. So it's critical that policies around performance review and performance management also take into account what if this employee happens to be out for six months, how are we going to evaluate their work and their performance on the job in order to ensure that they can have career growth and career progression. That brings up actually a tremendous problem with the IOC's decision. Bouchold's lawyer calls her situation a human rights violation and discrimination case, saying of the Olympic Boxing Task Force's 
revised ranking system for Tokyo and the IOC's subsequent decision, quote, it's like Mandy has never been ranked in the world. Is the message here that having a baby negates your pre-pregnancy accomplishments, Miriam? And how do employers view their employees when they decide to become parents? Let's all be clear that most people, whether they're a man or a woman, tend to procreate and grow families. We're not talking about, I want to go to the moon tomorrow. Like we have to look at this holistically as the performance of the athlete and the capability of the person altogether. In particular, when we're talking about women's sports, we need to make sure that women are being penalized for having a baby. We're not talking about giving her the medal. We're talking about giving her a fair chance to compete. And I think she certainly deserves that. And I think rising tide lifts all boats. What's good for one woman is good for all of us. We really need to have that mentality here for Mandy. I think what's also important to understand too is the idea that athletes, regardless of gender, are competing later and longer into their careers. There is unfortunately a window for women to have babies. We have to make these adjustments because they're able to figure out ways to make it work and do both in between Olympics or in between world championships. I think particularly because part of what is preventing Mandy from competing is that there's this additional extenuating circumstance of the pandemic. So it feels even more outrageous that they created a rule as a stopgap to championship events that she would have been able to compete in to re-enter her standing. And now because those have been canceled, now we have to just, what, negate her whole career. That just is unacceptable to me. There still is, though, one more chance for the sport to get this right. Bouchold has appealed the IOC's decision to the Court for Arbitration of Sport. Their decision is final. There are three possible outcomes here. Upholding the IOC's decision, overturning it, or possibly failing to hear the case before the Olympics take place. We all hope that this gets overturned and looked at in time, but it is just so heartbreaking to think of the not only physical dedication, but the emotional and mental dedication that these athletes put into every day, hours upon hours upon hours. We talked with Meg and Duggan about this when they were going to the world championships and had kind of a similar thing with potentially looking at boycotting if they didn't get better support from maternity and just overall marketing support. And it came down to the wire. And one minute we're with lawyers, probably in suit and ties on a Wednesday. And by Thursday, they're playing their first game after getting on an airplane and gunning it. My heart breaks for the mental anguish that she's going through and others. I just hope they can look at it and make a decision regardless of what that decision is. But I think if they can't look at it before, I think that's an absolute crime for her. And I think it sets a terrible tone of what the importance of something like this. This isn't the first time. It's unique because of the pandemic. But we've seen time and time again, these exceptional world-class athletes that they're having a baby. They're not trying to like fly to the moon on a kite. We're talking about basics, you know? It's just another reminder of the importance of representation at every level and making sure that we have gender and racial diversity in positions of power and leadership so that we have real insight into any problem that's going to come up. Because my skeptical view of the world is that if they upheld the IOC's decision, it's because there are few or no women in the room advocating for Mandy. And I also secretly hope maybe all the boxers just decide to drop their gloves and walk out. Maybe that's the move. The athletes are the ones that everybody wants to watch. So they've got the power at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, we keep seeing these women 
fight these battles repeatedly. There's been Serena Williams, Megan Duggan, and then more recently, several elite athletes, Alicia Montano, Kara Goucher, and Allison Felix among them, leaving Nike after publicly criticizing the company because it reduced performance pay for pregnant athletes. And now we have Mandy Bouchold versus the IOC. Why does this pregnancy penalty have to be relitigated over and over again? And how can we get ourselves off this proverbial treadmill? It seems like it has to happen at every sport, at every level, every governing body. I have so much respect for what Alicia and the other female runners have done to call attention to the dynamics around sponsorship. And I think that being vocal and advocating really does create cultural change. but. Unfortunately, we have to do it again and again and again. It's not what's good for you is good for you. What's good for you is good for me. And so unfortunately, we're gonna have to keep having these conversations until we smash the patriarchy. The United States has some of the least supportive policies for working parents, even in corporate America, where a small amount of Americans are even offered paid family leave, which is just a crisis in itself. And we've seen that compounded in the last year with everything that happened with this pandemic. You can't have a job and homeschool three children in elementary school. It's impossible. I just think hopefully everything we've been through in the last year and continued conversations will really bring it to the attention of everybody who maybe never knew about these things. It just seems so obvious that something like having a baby shouldn't really prevent somebody from competing on the world stage as one of the best in her sport. What's interesting is some brands are also raising their hand and saying, well, Nike's dropping them. And they left because they had lack of support. There's other brands stepping up that are coming out and saying, look, we want to support women. I think we're in this interesting intersection right now where the world will start to interact with these athletes and tell their story differently than the past. I'm going to play part of an interview Mandy Bujol did on CBC's The Breakdown shortly after the IOC announced its decision and then ask for your reaction. All I'm asking when I'm approaching the IOC and in our letter you know, that Sylvie wrote is for them to look at my ranking in 2017 before my pregnancy. The same way that the case that everyone knows with Serena Williams, when she came back after having her daughter, this was a fight that she went through. And again, if I was Serena Williams, maybe we'd be able to get the IOC to listen. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, you know, I don't have that clout right now. So there should be a clause in there to include women who've had that time off uh, for pregnancy and postpartum. So Miriam? start with you. Why does having clout matter in this decision-making? And what does this statement mean on a broader level? When you have systems and structures that are based on politics and longstanding relationships that are not necessarily built to take the needs of women, mothers, families into account, you're going to end up with a group of people in power that aren't necessarily open to hearing every case. There's a larger context for what is happening to Mandy, and it sets a precedent that we have to be really vocal in advocating for. I personally am not a boxing fan, but I'm a Mandy fan, so maybe I'm a boxing fan now. Seems as though we've disregarded what women are capable of accomplishing on the field. Serena Williams won the 2017 Australian Open while she was pregnant with her daughter. And a year and a half later, she came back and made her way to the finals at Wimbledon. And there are several other examples. For instance, Kerry Walsh Jennings 
winning a gold medal in beach volleyball at the 2012 Olympics while pregnant. Of the IOC's decision on Mandy Buchholz, Arizona State professor and sports historian Victoria Jackson told the New York Times, quote, They thought that women would retire after pregnancy, partly because of the economics, but also because they didn't have the understanding that women could improve into their 30s. It seems like they've messed up, but are not going to walk it back, unquote. To me, it just seems utterly unjustifiable to ask a woman to choose between having a child and pursuing her career on her terms. I can't even fathom being faced with that decision. So Tara, I'll start with you. What's your first thought when you contemplate any woman being in that position? Oh, it's infuriating. Who are we to sit there and put a time limit on somebody's career? If she has bones of steel and muscles and she has the commitment and the drive and the talent to continue this, who's anybody to sit there and say, you can't because you're 35? It's wild to say that. I really just think it's disgusting that we put a a timestamp on somebody's career. And it just doesn't seem at all like something that we should be monitoring. Assuming that they are committed and talented, let them go. <laughs> let them keep going. It's been documented that the profession of medicine used to say that women were just men with hormones. There's so much less that we know about women's physiology and women's bodies because there's been so much pervasive systemic misogyny built into medicine, not to mention systemic racism that impacted someone like Serena Williams, who in her delivery wasn't being heard because she's a black woman and experienced complications, life-threatening complications. So when we're talking about what women are or are not capable of and how much we know about what they're capable of or not, the truth is that we need to take a step back and say, where did we come up with the knowledge that we have? And do we have enough information to really answer those questions? And I think we have to have some intellectual honesty here that, that there's more to learn. And we need to understand based on the information we can have and do have today, as opposed to in the 1950s, what can men and women accomplish? What people can accomplish is also limited by the support structure around them. And we've seen that that's been failing in all sorts of ways. Eight years ago, Lucia Montano told her then sponsor Nike that she wanted to start a family. And Nike's response was to say it would support her by suspending her contract and begin paying her again when she returned to competition. It took another six years after Montano used her platform to shame the company for the hypocrisy between its public statements and advertising and its treatment of the female athletes it sponsored, and further public outcry beyond that until Nike changed its maternity policy. It wasn't until last year that the WNBA, an all-women's league, wrote a parental leave policy into its collective bargaining agreement with its players. Why is being a mom treated this way? And what does it say about how the United States as a whole views mothers? What's the saying, Tara? We're supposed to parent like we don't have a job and work like we don't have kids. We have completely unrealistic expectations for what we want to see women do. We have to see a lot more change in this country. I'm hopeful that the pandemic has opened people's eyes to the complexities of modern parenthood. I think that the motherhood penalty, the pregnancy penalty is unfortunately still something that women are dealing with every day. But as we know, 70% of moms are in the workforce. Things have changed dramatically in the last 30 years. I think as the conversation continues to be top of mind in a lot of ways, especially after this pandemic, that we represent people at the top and we have the right people at the top who are making these decisions and the conversations that are happening. And 
continued to, there's been a few of these, like we said, over the past couple of years of player after player, sport after sport, or groups and teams coming forth. So hopefully we see a day where this doesn't have to be such a fight. In my own 20-ish years in the working world, I've seen attitudes towards motherhood shift in that as a 20-something, I felt I had to accomplish a certain amount so that I could be perceived as serious in order to then feel like I could start a family. And I think as we have more supportive policies for women, women are going to be able to start families whenever they want, earlier or later, when it makes sense for them without having to fear that it's going to negatively impact their career opportunities and their career progression. Thank you. Well, stick with us. We'll have more with Miriam and Tara and learn more about their company, Superkin, after this break. Superkin is a lifestyle brand for ambitious parents, challenging the outdated notions of motherhood. Founded in 2018 by colleagues, friends, and moms, Miriam Williams and Tara Elwell Henning, they are the creators of the Add to Resume Grew a Human campaign that's raising money for Black Mamas Matter Alliance. Superkin recently launched a parent concierge sluice for companies looking to enhance and structure their parents' community at work. Learn more at www.superkin.com. Welcome back to my interview with Miriam Williams and Tara L.L. Henning. We're going to move on now to your own professional work. Tara, when you were pregnant with your first daughter, you found your employer then really had no maternity leave policy, and you were instrumental in writing it. How surprised were you that there was no policy? And what was most important to you to implement in the policy? This is in 2015. We at the time didn't have HR. We didn't have a marketing team. I don't even think we had a finance team. The company was probably 15 or 20 when I announced that I was pregnant and I was terrified to do so. But I knew that the CEO himself had three children, had a very incredibly talented in her own right, in her own professional career, a wife who was taking care of their three children. He gave me a, a big hug when I told him I was pregnant, and I knew that he wanted to create a supportive environment. He gave me carte blanche to do so and said, go find a policy and let me know what it is. What I knew and I still believe is most important is not just the week's that you get for your maternity or parental leave, but really the experience that you get. When I went down that path of figuring out what a maternity leave looks like, you're shocked to know most people don't really understand how behind the times the United States is on its policies. And I was fortunate enough to work for a company that was willing to give a substantial amount of paid leave in conjunction with some of the state and national policies, but really some of the national policies really just protect your job, but they don't pay you. And so it's really complex. It's state by state. And then it happens to be who your employer is that really define what your policy looks like. I never really found myself as this massive advocate beforehand, but as a mom, I only felt more inspired. I was in my mid thirties and I was a director at a company and I knew that there was gonna be plenty of women behind me that were gonna give birth. I've never felt so fired up about something to really think thoroughly what makes sense and how does it not just about the weeks but what happens when you come back and how does the company treat its employees it treats its parents and the culture surrounding their parents there's all these terrible assumptions that women when they come back they're not as enthusiastic about their career i was the opposite i was more driven to show my daughter 
what it meant to be a badass working mom. And so I felt even more inspired after giving birth and going through that experience of defining a maternity policy and something that's never left my core ever since then. Every time somebody rewrites a policy and says, okay, well, what's fair? What's best in class? We have this opportunity to move the needle forward. And if you get enough startups who start offering six months of paid leave, then it becomes a really powerful talent acquisition and retention tool that can then rival some Fortune 500 companies. I think Tara's experience is so interesting because it reflects what could happen and what I think I'm hopeful is happening, that more and more people understand that if you want to retain and attract top talent, you need to be competitive on some of these policies that support women at work. And I think it has to constantly evolve, but there is strength in understanding that everybody is moving in this direction and that this is the right way to go from an employer perspective. I think one of the things that's important, especially coming out of this pandemic, is the idea that we saw parents, both men and women, struggling to keep their heads afloat during the last year when there was no childcare options. What does the future of work look like? And realizing that it's not just kombucha on tap and ping pong tournaments that's really going to like drive people to join an organization or stay with an organization. I think there's also power from the consumer side, whether it's somebody who wants to watch Olympic sports or somebody who wants to shop with one brand or one company versus another. People are more and more aware of the decisions that companies are making. And so I'm going to make a choice. I might choose to spend more money on a product that aligns with my values versus one that is maybe less expensive, but that doesn't support the world that I want to see. To the extent that Olympic fans or consumers in general can use their wallet to express their values, I think they're going to continue to do that. 100%. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the new child tax payments the uh, Biden administration recently announced. How meaningful is that? Or will that be to parents? It's huge. Childcare is astronomically expensive and money can help somebody pay for a babysitter to be able to go to a job interview. Parents are going to be able to buy better food for their kids, lifting kids out of childhood poverty in an unprecedented way. And if we see that wages are stagnant and we've got more and more people who are working multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet, the cost of childcare and everything else has gone up. It's exciting to see policies that support families. There's so many amazing things that could happen for families that I think are just so basic. As we've said throughout this whole conversation, we're talking about families here. We're not talking about these frivolous activities that maybe we want to do. And I think the ability for a mom or a woman or a dad to stay late and what that does to their career trajectory, I just think these small little wins will build us towards a better future for kids and their families. And it's a lifetime of improvement. The U.S. is so far behind so many other developed nations in terms of the way we support families and parents. Our government traditionally has had a lens of, frankly, white men whose mothers and wives stayed at home with them. And so that's their worldview of what family life looks like. It's so important that we get women in office, that we get people of color in office, that we create a more diverse set of voices that can reflect what the world really looks like. Speaking of changing perspectives on motherhood, fatherhood, and parenthood, uh, that leads me to your Superkin Add to Resume campaign t-shirts that we're all wearing. Mine is Add to Resume Raising a Human. Yours say Add to Resume Grew a Human. There's also Add to Resume Raising Humans. 
What motivated you to start this campaign? What do you hope to accomplish? And what has been the response from parents across the spectrum? This was something that as we started Superkin was always deep in our DNA around the concept of modern parenting in the workforce. In the height of the pandemic last year, we always knew we wanted to launch an awareness campaign that also had a charitable component. So $10 of every t-shirt sold is going to Black Mamas Matter Alliance, which is an organization that is bringing awareness towards Black maternal health and also something that, as we even mentioned, that Serena Williams experienced at her time. There's just such a horrible history in our country of racial injustices for Black women in hospital settings giving birth. It's just really something that we feel passionate about. And it's just been such an incredible experience to launch. We brought on about 30 ambassadors that are everything from CEOs to Olympic athletes to advocates and women leaders to rock the t-shirts because raising a human and growing a human is worthy of your resume. It is a part of your professional and personal journey. We started with grew a human, but people were really fired up about saying, well, I've grown two humans. What about dads? And so of course, we're always thinking about bringing on everybody and their journeys to parenthood. It's just been really awesome to see how fired up people get and high-fiving and you walk down the street wearing your t-shirt it's really just been an awesome campaign to bring awareness to everything that we've been talking about and even feels more relevant given this pandemic and what it's done to challenge working parents. Tara and Miriam, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. As of the release of this podcast, it has been nearly a month since the IOC rendered its decision to deny Bujold's petition. She is still awaiting a final decision from the Court of Arbitration for Sport. It is my profound hope that the High Court overturns the IOC's decision and allows Bujold to compete in the Olympics to pursue her dream of ending her career on the medal stand. Getting to Tokyo shouldn't have had to be such a fight. For the sake of Mandy Bujold, as well as that of mothers and mothers-to-be around the world, the powers that be in international sports should publicly acknowledge that Bujold deserves her shot at an Olympic medal because she earned it in the ring. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was written, edited, and produced by me, Jake Williams. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and leave a review and rating on iTunes. Thank you for listening.